Welcome to Headliner the Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Heckberg and Philip Goudreau. This week, Stephen and Phil go over how to construct a story for your organization. Headliner of the podcast, Bill Godreau, Stephen Heckbird, and oh man, I had something else I was going to say there. What was I going to say? Oh my goodness. Oh, I know. It's that we're talking about story construction this week, Stephen. Story time. Yay. I love story Yay. time. Yay. It's about knowing what you're going to say before you say it. Well, that's why, that's why people write these things down, Phil. People write books for this reason, so that they know mm. what books. the be- what the books be- you say. I know books. Exactly. Oh, we have a book, Phil, you and I. It's called Headliner. Uh, shockingly, that's why we called the podcast Headliner the Podcast. Uh, yeah, we want to talk about mm, stories, Phil. It simple. Yeah, exactly. We want to talk about stories because, and I don't know if you've found this lately, I have seen too many people walking into opportunities without understanding the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah, and, and even if they do have an understanding of it, as something we've talked about many, many times and we'll probably continue to talk about, they haven't made it simple to understand either. But uh, why don't you start us off? What's, uh, what's one example of a client that has done exactly what you just said? They've walked in, they don't know what their story is. Oh gosh, there's so many uh, <laughs> lately, oddly enough. And I actually, so I, I, I want to be kind to people though. So here's what happens is that yeah. you're so engrossed in your own story that you forget that you haven't told it to somebody else. And you forget that you have, that they won't have your background. They won't have your information. They won't have any of the, any of the parts of the story that you know so intimately and so well. They have none of those things. So you're going to start to try to tell your story, and then that person is going to ask questions about it. And of course, you're going to want to answer those questions. But because you don't know what they really need to know, you begin answering their questions, and those questions take you off in a direction that you didn't intend to go. And suddenly, you know, you, the, the opportunity is finished. You've finished the sales call. You've finished the pitch. And you didn't ever get to what they really need to know. And that's in large part because you assumed that the story would reveal itself organically, that there's no way they would ever be sidetracked by any of the details that they would find fascinating, which is, of course, you just forgot that humans exist and humans have their own interpretation of what's super important in a story and humans have their own interpretation about how they're listening to things. And I, I always remind people that I want, I want you to remember, if you start telling a story to someone and they're a good listener, they will invariably interject and ask questions in the middle of your story that you didn't think would be questions. They just do. And that's like a, what, Stephen? You know, Phil, that's a, that's a perfect example. They're, you know, the kind of question that can come up will be simply like, and then what happened? And now I'm telling a chronological mm-hmm. story about a day not a story about what it is I need, I really need someone to know about my organization or what have you. And it's because questions indicate that someone's listening and you want people to be listening, but you also need to know in advance what they really need to know out of your conversation as opposed to just responding to their questions. That, Phil, and I don't know how you find it with your clients, that's the hardest habit to train people to do is to get to what the audience really needs to know and not just simply respond to the questions about where the audience is leading you. Parents with toddlers are uh, silently nodding their heads, Stephen, and that includes me. <laughs> the number of questions you get trying to get through a story but why? Uh, with those particular but why? small people. Yeah. But why? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> why? But why? 
but why? Why is the sky blue, Daddy? Why is why does the bear eat the eat the fish? Why can't the fish swim away? Like, oh my God! Anyway, God, I have a twenty-one-year-old and a twenty-year-old Phil, and they still get some of those questions sometimes. So it never ends, Phil. It never ends. It never. It never ends. Yeah. Um, I will say, you know, a couple of clients I'm working with right now. One is uh, advocating for some federal funding for building, and uh, and we brought in a lobbying firm to help with that portion of the exercise and so we're we're doing that with with the clients um they're a great listener thankfully and uh we are taking their very complex 70 plus page feasibility study about how great this building is and look at all the comparables and look at all the consultation we've done and trying to condense it down into a few tight pages for a minister and and for his staff so that he can read it uh, get a sense very quickly of what is the project? Why is it important? Uh, something you'll hear me talk about a lot, not just what are we offering and how is it going to get done, but why this project and not another one? Who's behind it? Uh, how much is it going to cost? Yes, those, you know, those details are important, but trying to present a 90-page feasibility study to them or 70-page or it doesn't really matter how many pages once you get past, what, 20. It's also, it's also that's, not... That's an important part of crafting Phil, the story. It's also not written in English. This is the other thing to remember. A feasibility study for a, any mm -hmm. kind of a building is written in engineer. It's written in engineer. It's written mm -hmm. for engineers to write for fellow engineers. And, and I love engineers. The one thing to remember about engineers is engineers do not understand why other people don't think like engineers. It's the number one thing about every time I train engineers, every time I talk to engineers, they literally will look at me and say, but it, your life would be so much better if you thought like an engineer. And that may be true, but I don't think like an engineer. So that's the impasse we're at. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, to use a, use a similar example, um, uh, development industry, there's a project I've mentioned uh, previously where having the conversation back and forth, there's myself and, uh, and another uh, consultant locally, you know, more politically minded kind of people. We see sort of the broader picture. The client, they're both in the development industry and they think about development matters and they think about construction and they think about how they're going to get the project done um, and, and that's not to fault them that's that's their job that's what they're there for and that's why they brought us in uh, to help on the communication side because um, there's a certain way they'd like to do things um, but there's a story that they want to tell and there's a story that they don't want to see on the front page of the paper locally we have to figure out how do we get them to point a and not point b and I always sort of, one of the things I always tell my clients is that communication, better communication will save the world. And I'm going to go back to what, what, why is story construction so important for you going into this mm -hmm. is that if everybody within your organization can get to the story you're telling, then it becomes much easier. And actually, I'm going to go back to our last episode a little bit. So there's a couple of companies we didn't mention last episode. And one of the reasons why we didn't mention them is because for some reason they have stayed out of this fray completely. One of them is Apple. Nobody talks about Apple when we talk about the evils of big tech. The world's most valuable company next to Amazon, another company that I won't get into Amazon, but Apple, nobody talks about Apple in terms of it prevents certain podcasts from going on its podcasting platform. But you know, by and large, no one complains about Apple in the way that they complain about Facebook or Google or Instagram or TikTok. Apple and Microsoft, by and large, have stayed out of this fray. And one of the reasons why they've stayed out of this fray is Apple knows its story so well, and it never strays from its story. Apple's story is we design products with you in mind. 
We make them easy for you to use, and we make it so user-friendly and so secure that you will, once you have an iPhone or once you start using Apple products, you won't go back. And that's its whole story. And that's all it tries to sell. And it doesn't try to do anything else beyond that. But it's simplicity. Everybody who works at Apple knows that's their core mantra. From the CEO down to the people, your, your, your Apple store geniuses. Everybody is on the same page all the time. And I use that example when I talk to other clients, even in the non-technology world, because why do they need to be any more than that? Why does their story need to expand beyond that in any way, shape, or form? It doesn't. Like, it, that story works for them. And that's the part that I think if you can, if you can get it down to that mantra, like that, those key points, those key 30 seconds of understanding as your story, boy, it's going to be hard to get you off of that story if you've learned how to tell it that, that effectively. We've talked about good stories. We've talked about bad stories. Maybe I can revisit the components of story. So you're trying to build a story for a client right now. Um, you're trying to figure out what your story is or should be in a particular situation. Uh, where would you start, Stephen? So I love that question, Phil. That's actually great. So first of all, understand characters. Every story has characters. So know who you might be in your story. So every story has a protagonist and every story has an antagonist. Some stories also have an impartial observer of the madness that the antagonist and the protagonist are going through. So the hero and the villain. If you are the hero, awesome. If you think you might be portrayed as the villain, don't accept that role. So therefore, you may have to change and alter your story so that you can become either the hero of your own story or certainly you can move to being the impartial observer. But every story is going to have characters. Every story is also going to have a plot. You need to understand where do you want to get to with the end of the story and where are you in the story now and how can you design the plot to get you from A to B. Every story also has, you know, an emotional payoff. It's got the climax of the story. It's got the, you know, the high point of the story. So when you get to the high point of your story, what will that achievement look like for you, for your organization, et cetera, et cetera? And so those are the three key elements in any good story that I try to help clients understand. Who are you in the story? What's your character? What's the plot? Uh, what's the, where, what objective are you moving towards? And, and is there, are there stumbling blocks in the way? Uh, what are those stumbling blocks? And can you figure out how to mitigate them or make them part of overcoming something? And then what will the high point of your story look like? Make sure you know what the high point is going to look like so you will know when that part of the story is over. That's the other challenge is that a lot of people, because they don't know or haven't thought of their story that way, they actually get to that point in the story and then they, they try to move the story. But you have to let that story end. That's one of the other things about storytelling is you need to know when that part of the story is over. And without wanting to criticize anybody in this story, that's one of the challenges for the Alberta government in terms of its fight with the federal government, is that it never lets the story end. It keeps moving the yardsticks all the time about what will it take to satisfy the province from the government of Canada. If you're trying to listen to that story as an outside observer, even if I wanted to be on the side of the Alberta government, you now hear people say, I don't know what success would look like. I don't know what they want. And that's one of the key reasons why you have to understand when crafting your story 
what do you want? What's your plot point? And I think that's, that's pretty key. Even that uh, Alberta story sounds like some lousy bedtime reading, although it might put you to sleep. It works for the 21-year-old and the 20-year-old, uh, Phil. That's all I can tell you. So here's what we're going to do, Phil. We're going to come back next week with a new episode in which it will not feature a boring bedtime story uh, as the last thing I talk about. Uh, next week, as exciting as it's going to be, we're going to talk about advocacy via the media. We're going to have a guest on our program next week. Derek Lothian, a grad of the program, currently the president of the Insurance Bro uh, Brokers Association of Saskatchewan, is going to be joining us. He's going to talk about advocacy via the media, and he's got some rules about that. We love rules. Uh, so he's going to talk about that. But if you have questions about our story construction episode, if you've got questions about uh, any of the things we talk about either in the book, Headliner the Book, which you can buy uh, in all the places where you can buy books. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Headliner, the podcast. If you want to know more about how you can improve your organization's communication strategies, visit headlinerthebook.com. We'll see you next week.